0: If you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19. I'll be reading Acts 19, verses 21 through 41. Acts 19, 21 through 41. <coughs> now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia into Caia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. And But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great! is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another." But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible inerrant and historical word to our hearts, our souls, and our affections to the glory of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, may we see what Paul saw, what these Christians saw. May we feel what they felt. May we know that we are aliens in this world because you have plucked us out of darkness and you have mercifully put us into the kingdom of your Son. Continue to work upon our hearts and our souls as undone sinners being conformed to your image and those who are outside Christ, grab them. Unto your eternal glory. Amen. And amen. Christianity is not about people who by their goodness are welcomed to become Christians. Christianity is about real people who in their relation with God the Creator are bad. Yes, down here on this earth, as we compare ourselves with one another, that one over there is better than that person over there. But the Gospel says to both, you're in rebellion against the Creator. Your lifestyles and choices and affections are over against the holiness of God. All have fallen short of his glory. And Jesus the Messiah is the only way to be saved from your sin and condemnation. That's the message. 2,000 years ago or today. In hearing it, some believe. And others remain worldly. Christians our sinners who are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And then, like newborn babies, they grow, they develop. Changes come. In some cases, depending on their lifestyle, when they're converted to Christ, changes come really fast and really obvious. And then there are other parts where changes come. Slowly. Ever so slowly. But they do come. That is the underlying reality of this passage this morning. The effect of new birth upon these Ephesians who came to Christ bore fruit. Their faith in Jesus, the work of the Spirit upon their hearts, creating a love for the one true God through the Gospel. To thousands of these Ephesians bore fruit. The fruit of repenting and changing their lifestyles. Away from practicing sorcery and the magic arts. And away from idolatry. The worship of Artemis. And away from sexual immorality, which was connected with the temple of Artemis. In other words, when people become Christians, they come out from the midst of the world. From the culture these Christians begin to live for God. Practicing oh so imperfectly. But practicing holiness. And that often brings persecution. Small or large. Personal persecution from inner circles to culture wide. Often family and friends won't like it that you have changed. They won't like it That you now are overwhelmed with a love for the Lord Jesus and the Holy Scripture. They won't like it that you have a a passion, an overwhelming passion for an abhorrence, even in yourself. To living a life of ignoring God. What we see in this passage this morning is the effects of the gospel infiltrating through the church, the society. Why? Because here's the outline of the sermon. First, because when Christ grabs hold of sinners and they're changed from the inside and slowly through the out, it causes Opposition precisely because Satan hates the gospel and he blinds the eyes of the unbelievers around the church. And that blindness of the unbelievers causes them to come against the Gospel and against God's people. And one of the main reasons deep down whether they're conscious of it or not is because that Gospel and those Christians shine a light upon their own sin and they don't want it exposed. And we see at the end In the midst of all of this opposition, we are to trust. Trust God who is sovereign. He's sovereign to protect His church. He can deliver from death and attacks if He wills. And so, if you're there, chapter 19... We'll pick up here in verse 21 where where Luke gives this little synopsis and what he does in 21 to 22, we'll see in a second. It's really the outline of the rest of the book of Acts because it is exactly what Paul does. It's what he gives us. But I want to give you a little historical for about a minute and a half quickly. Paul now, at this point in our journey through Acts, has been ministering in the city of Ephesus for almost three years. Now, during that time, after he got to Ephesus, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, the Corinthians. We do not have that letter. A few months later, he wrote another letter to them, a long letter. We have that letter in our New Testament. We call it First Corinthians. After he wrote that letter, he's in Ephesus, he decided, Luke doesn't tell us this, to get on a ship and and sail over the Aegean Sea and to go to Corinth for a visit. And he did on a short visit, which really did not go well at all between Paul and the church. He goes back to Ephesus and he writes a harsh, tearful letter to the Corinthian church his third letter. We don't have that letter either in our New Testament. Okay, just just feel that now. So here we are now. He's there for almost three years. And now Luke tells us, verse 21, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Caia, and to go to Jerusalem saying, After I have been there in Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. And so, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aristus, he himself stayed in Asia, in Ephesus, For a while. So Paul decided he knows what we're going to do. My time is short. I'm going to be going through Macedonia. That means to the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And then from there, I'm going to go visit Corinth again. And then from Corinth, after all of this trip, that he has been planning for a couple years, collecting all of the money that all of the Christians have been giving in all of these churches, he would, with a band of other believers, go all the way to Jerusalem to deliver this offering to them. And then he would eventually make it to Rome, but as a prisoner. Now, Just flash forward for a moment. After Paul will leave Ephesus, he goes to the churches in the region of Macedonia and he goes to Corinth. And while he's in Corinth, that is when he writes a letter to the church in Rome, which we call this beautiful, probably the best. This is an opinion. And most important piece of writing in world history, the book of Romans. And at the end of that, he says this to the Roman Christians, because he didn't plant that church, and he has not been to Rome. And he says to them, Since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. But at present, so here he is, he's in in Corinth. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints there, the offering that he has been raising. And so here's Luke in verses 21-22, little synopsis about Paul's intention and it really is the outline of the rest of the book of Acts but then Luke says Satan at that time stirred things up in Corinth verse 23 about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning Christianity That's what he means by the way. That's what it was called, the way. Jesus is the way, the truth. There was no little, is a nice way to say, there was a massive commotion over Christianity and Christians. Well, think about why. Christians are called to love their neighbors. Christians are people who are called to stop stealing. Stop slandering and cheating others and sleeping with other person's spouses. Christians become better citizens. So why would there be so much hatred and opposition to Christianity and to Christians? The answer, biblically, is simple. There is an evil spiritual being who hates the message of Jesus Christ. As Paul will later write to this church here in the city of Ephesus, he writes to them, for we do not battle against or wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual realm, the heavenly places. Now, as we read this text, there's a connection between this riot and the fact that thousands of these Christians just confessed their secret sins of sorcery and openly demonstrated their repentance by burning their sorcery books. And as a result, verse 20 says, And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. The power of that church, the power of these Ephesian Christians was not a political movement where they're picketing outside the temple of Artemis and say, don't do that. It was the spiritual transformation of their lives. And more and more people were being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that reality in their lives was threatening the business of a bunch of idol makers. Satan hates the gospel. Yes, but these are human beings. That's right. That's what takes us to the next step. It is Satan who uses people by blinding the eyes of their heart and keeping them blind. You remember how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians, even if our good news of Jesus, the gospel, is veiled, they can't see it, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers like all of us. If we're Christians, all of us before we became Christians. As Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae saying he delivered us from the domain, dominion over us, the domain of darkness. We were blind also. But he he transformed us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And we believe, and we see, And unbelievers remain blind by Satan and don't see. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, The natural person, the non-born-again person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him or her. And he or she is not able to understand them, because they are only spiritually by the Holy Spirit, seen, grasped, understood. So if, you've, if you ever have wondered how could people, real human beings, worship a statue of a many-breasted woman called Artemis, that's why. They're blind. And therefore, foolish. If you've ever wondered, how is it that people who are literate have bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and PhDs could proclaim, there are not just two sexes, but 30 or 130. Now you know how they could do it. They're blind, and therefore they are fools. They have no wisdom. The beginning of wisdom starts with the fear of God. And when there is no fear of the one true God, you may be very smart, but another fool so Luke tells us, beginning there at verse 23, Now about that time there arose no little but a very big disturbance concerning the way or Christianity. And he explains it. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Man, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see, you hear, that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that God's made with hands are not. Gods, And there's danger, not only uh, that this trade of ours will come into disrepute, disrepute, we're going to lose a lot of money, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, this temple... In Ephesus of Artemis was one of the great seven wonders of the world at the time. It was massive. It was much larger than a football field. And it is a building. And upon that worship, that cult of Artemis, much of the economy in Ephesus was built around it. This made Ephesus a major tour attraction. A week-long festival every spring took place over Artemis worship, much like Mardi Gras every year in New Orleans. And it drew a lot of people and thus a lot of business, including many who would buy small statues of the temple. And you're thinking, yeah, no. See, if you're no longer blind, If by God's mercy you see Satan doesn't have a grip on your spiritual senses anymore, then it seems very obvious to you that God's little idols made by human hands of a silversmith to you, of course they're not God. And Paul was teaching that. Paul would say that. We saw him say it over in Athens very clearly. But if you are blinded by Satan in the kingdom of darkness, you may well believe that male and female are not determined by biology. You may well think that that little statue is how you worship that particular God of many, gods once you come into the light it's just logical and evident to you that that person made that little thing there that is not God but this is the state of the world and we as believers we are to communicate the good news of Jesus we are to communicate the gospel unadulterated without twisting it or trying to make it more palatable, we are to just plainly state to lost sinners the gospel as clearly as we possibly can. But if God does not shine the light of the knowledge of God in the face of the gospel we preach, then they will remain Resistant to it. And they resist at core because the gospel confronts their sinful lifestyles. Notice this commotion, what caused it? It's really twofold. It is first, yes, the clear gospel itself, the message itself was causing a problem as it confronts sin but it wasn't just that it was also the changed lives of those who believed the gospel so first the message itself it confronts sinners with their sinfulness because if people are not living lives of wrongdoing against their creator then there is nothing to be saved from before People can embrace Christ as their Savior who died for sinners on the cross and offers freely, unending forgiveness of their sins. Before that can happen, they must hear the bad news, the true news about their sin, and they must feel it. They must grasp it. They must be convicted of it. That's the message, and that's why it's resisted without the light. But on top of that was the reality that here in Ephesus, thousands of these Artemis worshipers turned to Christ. And they repented of their sexual immorality that was often connected to the temple of Artemis. They repented... Of living according to the dictates of their natural sinful nature. That's how Paul preached to them constantly. A few years later, when he, to remind them of the Gospel, he writes a letter to these Ephesians, right? And he says this to them, because this is just a given about Christianity, in chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians... You were, before you came to Jesus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, your whole lifestyle. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, Among whom, as we Christians talk to one another, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. But Jesus saved them. And that caused a problem. Think about it. If everyone around you is in the dark, pitch black, doing things they know they should not be doing, and then all of a sudden someone walks into that room with a bright light, it exposes their sin. And that's what we are like, cockroaches with The light going on when we're living in sin and we don't want it exposed. So here in Ephesus, think about it. If, if many, many, and it's got to be in the thousands here. If many of these persons who used to get drunk and sleep with temple prostitutes suddenly stopped doing that because Jesus came into their life, it threatens those who still do those. And that is the story of Christianity. That's a story of Christians and families and cultures and friendship groups. This is how the Apostle Peter just clearly said, yeah, that's how it is. There are only two kingdoms. And Jesus really saves. And thus, there's a problem when he writes a letter to all the churches throughout the Roman Empire, very relevant for them, as it is for the church throughout the world today, saying this Christians, live now. Live for the rest of your lives here in the flesh no longer for human passions, but live for the will of God. Now watch what he said. He said, look, the time that is past before you came to Jesus, whether that was at 18 or 14 or 67 or 43, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, meaning the unbelievers. That is, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now here's his key. You know, watch what Peter says. With respect to this, they, your family, friends, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery like you used to. And, but then he, Peter says, and this is what they do, and they speak badly about They malign you. They ridicule you. When Christians walk with Christ, it often bothers those who are still in darkness. And it's clear in the New Testament why. Paul argued why in Romans chapter 1. He says because they are still trying to quench push down, suppress the truth. How? In their unrighteous lifestyles. That's what he says. And And then he says in Romans, and that always ends up in idolatry. That's what he argues. And then, of course, he says this. And thus, what do they do? They claim that they're so wise. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made by Demetrius resembling mortal Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they made silver shrines of Artemis, and called them gods. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and believed that all the universe came into being from nothing. They became fools and they think that everything around us can be explained by the religion of evolutionism. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they declare there is no such thing as objective wrong or right. Have sex with whomever and with how many ever you would like. Whether they're of the opposite sex or the same sex. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they declare that a biological man is a woman. Or that a woman is a man. Even though at the same time they claim we're not binary. There aren't even just two sexes. We don't know how many there are. And then there is that one. Huge, all-encompassing sin that exploded in the city of Ephesus. The love of money. The silversmith, Demetrius, instigated a near riot and a lynching because Paul's message was cutting in to their profit. But Demetrius is smart. He tries to make it sound a little less self-serving by stirring up the people's cultural and religious sentiments. Look at verse 27. And there, he says, Demetrius, is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute and thus we're going to lose the way we make our living, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. You don't want that. And that she may even be deposed, kicked off the throne of her magnificence. She, in other words, whom all Asia and the world worship here in Ephesus. And thus when they heard this, they were livid enraged. And they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Demetrius knew, knew how to grab hold of their affections and their hearts and where they really lived. I mean, what he is clearly saying to them and what they are hearing is that this Christianity thing, if it continues, if more and more people throughout Asia stop, Flocking to the temple here in Ephesus, our entire economy is going to get destroyed. The hotel and the restaurant business are going to be hurt. The merchants who sell their wares, they are going to be smacked upside the financial head. And then he oh, and not only that, but our pride and our joy is this great temple. The biggest building throughout the Roman Empire. And the yearly festival that we have, it could all be destroyed because of these Christians. That's what he says to them. And they were stirred up into an irrational frenzy. And the crowd that he had going there out in the street made their way down the road to the 24,000-seat outdoor public gathering place theater. And on the way, they see two of Paul's co-workers, and they grab them and drag them with them into the theater. And only by God's grace were they not Killed, And Paul himself, Luke lets us see, would have almost certainly have been killed if it weren't for God's providential hand using others to prevent Paul from going into that mob. Verse 29, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of Paul's, they sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. You, don't we, it's easier, and right? we read at times, depending if we're tired or not, we're getting it. No, this was a very frightening and scary situation. It, it is very possible that this was, or at least part of what the Apostle Paul was referring to when just a couple months after this, he wrote these words. To the Corinthians. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He means Ephesus. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Listen to his words. But, that was in order... Okay, this is not Satan's purpose here. This is God's purpose in the midst of satanic activity. But that happened. That was in order to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he says to him, Oh, by the way, God did deliver us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Paul knew God was in control, that he was sovereign even over the work of Satan and evildoers. He knew God in it had purposes. And the Apostle Paul, just like all of us, is in great need of being taught again and again and again to not rely on himself but to rely on God who does and will raise from the dead. And so the next trial you go through, think on that. Having said that, Luke was in, I mean, told us that Stephen was encountered by a mob. And he wasn't delivered from death. He was killed. We also know that 12 years after what we're reading here, Paul himself will be put to death because of his Christianity in Rome. But not here, not now, because that wasn't God's plan. God is able and He is willing, very often, to protect him from temporal. Affliction. That's our Father. That's our Father whom we, as believers, go to daily in prayer. With the words of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. If God is for us, who could be? Against us. He who did not spare his own son as we sang it this morning, but instead gave him, he delivered him up on a cross, bloody human death. He delivered him up on that cross how will he not through him give to us all things to endure and to persevere and to make now the apostle paul is a little nuts Because if it had been just up to him, he would have gone in amongst that mob because he saw this as a great opportunity to preach the gospel to a few thousand. But his brothers and sisters in Christ would not let it happen. By God's providential hand. And not only that, Luke tells us also some of Paul's unbelieving friends who were very wealthy... And they also had civic, political, and responsible ability jobs in Ephesus called the Asiarchs. Okay? They had a good relationship with Paul. And they said, Paul, do not do it. And so I think Paul respected him enough. He did not go in amongst the crowd. And Luke goes on. And what he also shows us through what we're going to hear here in a second is even if Paul went in there to want to preach the gospel, he wouldn't have been able to do it. Pick up with verse 32. And so now some cried out one thing, some another. When I talk about irrational frenzy, the crowd is moving one way, and we can see it in the political culture. It's amazing. I'm sorry. It is amazing. Five years ago, nobody, nobody, almost nobody in any way was talking about This biological male, we all affirm as a female. Now, the frenzied crowd throughout society. It's like second nature. And we see that here. Watch this. They're saying one thing. Others are saying another thing. They don't even know why they have come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward... What's most likely going on here is Alexander is not a Christian, he is a Jew, an unbelieving Jew. And he wants to put up a defense. Don't put us in the category with these Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles. Uh, I know they, they say they got the same book. We're not part of them. He wants to give a defense. We've been cool here in Ephesus. You, you left us alone. We don't mess with your temple, Artemis, even though we don't believe in it. He wants to give a defense. And so Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! On and on. And then, finally, when the town clerk, who is essentially like the mayor of the town, had quieted the crowd, listen to God's providence using this unbeliever to protect the church. Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky, most believe it was a meteorite. And look at that, a many-breasted woman. And maybe that's where the myth of this has come from. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rash or really violent. For you... Have brought these men, Aristocles and Gaius, here, are Christians who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. Rome believes in law. Do it lawfully. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And through God's providence, it worked. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And Gaius and Aristocus remained alive. So what we do see here this morning is the Apostle Paul. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a sinner being saved by grace, he walked with Christ in the gospel along with thousands of other Christians in Ephesus. And that Christianity stirred up the enemy's opposition. It is true even scriptural, even Luke has let us know this earlier on and that they had peace. The church at times and in different places has peace with its culture which has been most of our culture here in the United States of America where the basic morals and and belief systems, you know, in general with true believers and the culture are pretty close together. There's not a lot of, you know, friction there but more and more, the freedoms of religion are being attacked in our country. And, more and more, very clearly and publicly, Bible-believing and Bible-living Christians are being slandered, being ridiculed, being called intolerant Haters. I reach back again through the centuries to the Apostle Peter. He saw our day and he wrote to encourage the church in America, saying, If you are insulted, for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you Oh, but let let none of you Christians suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler yet If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. So stand. Continue to stand for the Gospel and Biblical truth. This persecution here that we read about in Ephesus was scary, but it was also clarifying between who is in the kingdom of God and who remains in the kingdom of this world. And throughout church history, that dynamic of persecution has always tended to purify. The church. A hundred years ago or so, G. Campbell Morgan wrote this way, The church persecuted has always been the church being purified, and therefore the church powerful. They put away their idols. They burned their ungodly sorcery books. They yearned to be holy. To walk with Christ by the Spirit. Have we burned our books, our worldliness, our idols? Have we cut off our ties with? our old life of sin with idolatry? Do we yearn to be holy? Biblical holiness. I don't mean arrogant, pious, judgmentalism towards others who don't agree with your conscience. I mean do we yearn to be holy, to be desperate to walk by the Holy Spirit in righteousness and in integrity and in repentance? Do we yearn to draw close to our ascended King Jesus through reading and studying the Bible alone? Or with others? Do we yearn for the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy in Christ and peace and patience and kindness and goodness self-control? Do we yearn for the fruit of loving others? better as the Holy Spirit works it in us. Let us press on in the Christian life and allow the Lord to impact others who are in darkness as we walk in the light. Father, thank you. As I quoted, you did not spare your son. You gave him. May you turn our hearts, our souls, our prayers, turn our Bible reading into a deep sense of that reality every morning, every day, What great love you have loved us from the foundation of the world. And Lord Jesus. May we grow to treasure. You. And that love through you dying for. May we all be able to say this. Me. And thus. Again and again, be learning not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on you, our great King, who will come back and raise us from the dead to the glory of your name. Amen.